Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. All right. If you have your Bibles, go to me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Um, I, uh, we had a one-week hiatus, but we're back. And uh, today is going to be our final day in the Radical Generosity series. So want to revisit this and, and uh, let, me, let me catch us up just a little bit, if that's okay. So uh, we've been presenting this idea of radical generosity. And uh, the first week I, I got into, um, you know, of, of the poverty mentality and how God wants to break the poverty mentality, the spirit of lack off of us. And, um, but then I presented, the following week I presented this idea, this idea that this, is this, is that uh, Jesus is the definition of revival. When God shows up in a city and it makes his son known, revival breaks out. Why? Because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And when Jesus gets revealed, you come alive. He is the resurrection life. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is resurrection life. And all that is dead comes alive when Jesus walks in the room. Right? Jesus is the definition of revival. Um, And we understand that, that the father delivered Jesus to the world by radical generosity, where he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus to pour out his life as an offering for you and I. Radical generosity was the highway that Jesus rode to bring resurrection life to humanity. And it will continue, it does continue to be the way that resurrection life and revival comes into a city, into a life, into a family, into a home. It's by the highway of radical generosity. Same page? And so we understand that radical generosity is the foundation of the, how, of, of the house of revival. And, and, uh, and I presented that day, when I, when I, this, the second week, I presented this idea that, that we're building a house of revival, that radical generosity is the, is the foundation. And um, man, we have so much in our hearts to do radically generous things and to bless the city, to bless the community, to, to just be crazy about picking up our streets and loving on families and uh, bringing what God is doing in this room onto the streets. But our heart is not just to be nice Christians. Our heart is to see revival break into Central Maine on every home, on every life, to see Re- resurrection life come. And, um, but but I, I brought up that in the house of revival, there's three pillars of the house of revival that hold the house of revival up. And those pillars are sacrifice, faith, and worship. They're the movements and the behaviors of radical generosity. What is radical generosity? It's the outpouring of all that we have. It's the giving. It's the, uh, the preferring of others better than ourselves. It's, it's modeling what Jesus did on the cross. There's no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. We've been invited to do exactly what Jesus did and to pour out our lives. Not just our money, but our resources. A heart, generosity is not about how much money you can give away. Generosity is a heart posture that offers its life willingly for Jesus to use your life as a highway to come into any scenario, situation, or any life. And in the house of revival, there's three pillars. There's sacrifice, there's faith, and there's worship. And so we've already gotten into to sacrifice and the laying down of our lives, the fragrance of our lives uh, um, as a fragrant offering to the Lord. We've, we've gone into faith and about how radical faith brings in a supernatural realm of miracles. And that when we start sowing in faith, um, and we start giving in faith that it actually creates a way for miracles to be demonstrated. But this week, I want to get into worship. And this is where we're going to land the planes. We're going to get into worship. So you guys ready? John chapter 4. We have the story of the Samaritan woman. And Jesus goes to draw water from the well. And he asks a Samaritan woman, who as a Jewish rabbi, 
um, it would be unlawful for him to be asking her for a drink of water, uh, unlawful for them to be interacting. And um, in verse 13, Jesus said to her, uh, whoever drinks of this water will, will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me some of that water that I would not thirst or come here again to draw. And Jesus said to her, go and call your husband to come here. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he goes, yeah, that's right. Uh, you don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband uh, and that you spoke truly. And the woman said to her, ah, I see that you're a prophet. <laughs> Such a fun interaction. Could you, does anybody else just imagine the woman at the well is just like really sassy, like just giving it back to Jesus. Oh, well done. You're prophetic. And our fathers worshiped on this mountain. The Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, <laughs> which I think he's just being sassy back. Like she set the tone. He's like, all right, we'll go there. All right, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Well, you will neither not worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, worship the father. You worship what you do not know. Everyone say, do not know. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Um, in this passage, Jesus he says, I, probably the most important thing he says before he, he brings up, you know, um, worshiping spirit and truth, he says, you worship what you do not know. This is incredibly important because this actually explains what he means by, he highlights the problem. When you're, you know, I just did Bible study with our, with our students this week and I would say, find the problem. Find, he's presenting an issue and when you're looking for the solution, you'll, you'll miss the solution if you don't know what the problem is. And he presents the problem and he says, you worship what you do not know. This is a very important thing of what he's saying because what he's presenting is proximity. And not only proximity physically, but also proximity and understanding. He's saying that what, what you, you're trying to worship from a faraway place, you don't know him, you don't see him, nor do you understand him. And he presents a problem. You're worshiping a shadow. You're worshiping something that you don't understand. You're worshiping from a place of religion and obligation. You're worshiping at a mountain, not the one who's on the mountain. You don't know what you're worshiping, but there is a day. This is the second most important thing he says is there is a day coming. That day, Jesus prophesying, was the day that he would be raised from the dead. He was talking about the new covenant day is coming. And that day is coming where, where, where the lamb will be slain for all the sins of the world. And that sin which set you far away from the Lord, that separation will be closed and removed and cast into the sea. And, was, and on that day, there's going, and the outpouring of the blood of the lamb will cover all the sins of every tribe and tongue and nation. And the Gentile will be given way to salvation. And he presents this idea where she doesn't know what he's saying, but we now know on that day, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the Holy Spirit's assignment will be to tear the veil that separates you between you and me. 
And that, that veil will be torn and the Holy Spirit will be roaming for hearts to lay his head upon their heart and to make their heart a home and a dwelling place. And I will give me, Jesus, the Son of God, I will give my spirit. The Spirit of God, the full manifest Spirit of God will dwell inside of you and will raise you from the dead on the inside out. You will be born again. And he prints, and on that day, you will no longer worship what you do not know. You will now worship in spirit and in truth. And what is it Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that right now you're worshiping a shadow, but there's a day coming where the spirit will dwell inside of you and you will see me. I will dwell inside of you. There will be unbroken relationship. Nothing that will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he says, and on that day, he says, and you will be able to worship now with truth, knowledge, understanding. You will now know what you're worshiping. You will see me for who I am. You will know God and I will dwell inside of you. And you will now worship in the spirit, not just in the flesh. You will not just worship, go, man, I hope this is going somewhere. But you will actually do it from the place of the realm of the spirit. Will you actually engage me, minister to me, speak to me, I to you. There'll be an engagement with the heart of God between the heart of man because I will dwell inside of you. I will become a fire that doesn't go out day or night. This is the worship that's coming. Isn't that awesome? That's what Jesus is saying. Now she doesn't know that, but we now know that what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? It means that he has removed the separation. Proximity is gone. And now there is a fire inside of you, day and night, night and day, where you could actually see the beauty of Jesus. And you can worship out of what you now see and know and understand. You didn't know his faithfulness. You trusted in it, but you didn't know it. But now you know the faithfulness of God. And you know the beauty of Jesus. We have to understand is that worship is a reflective act. We don't worship to see, we worship because we see. This is, this is important. We don't worship what we do not know. We worship what we do know. Worship is a reflective act. This is why sometimes I'll get up here and I'll be honest, there's moments where worship just feels like this and I go, oh, he's worthy of so much more. But we're all busy today. And worship is this. And I go, it has potential to do this. And we can go to the third heaven right now. And so one of the things that you'll hear me I'll get up here and do, and I'm coaching the room saying, there's so much more room for us to encounter God right now. And I'll say, I want you to, I want you to look into heaven right now. And I want you to see the beauty of God. And I want you to sing what you see. And that's what I'll say. Sing what you see. Sing. There's, there's rainbows around your throne. Sing. I see lightnings and thunder. Sing. I see you. You're bigger than all the, the kings of the earth. I, I sing what you see. Sing of his glory. Because worship is a reflective act. And there's something about engaging our spirit. You don't worship what you do not know. You worship what you now can see. He's given us access to the Godhead. He's given us access to see the beauty of the Father. And we worship what we now know. Worship is a reflective act. Go with me to, Rev, uh, to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter... I'm going yeah, to be jumping around. So you can either follow me or, or just trust me. Um, Revelation chapter four, we, here we are in a visitation with John, the beloved. 
And John, John says, after these things I looked and behold, there's a door standing open in heaven. And there's a voice that I heard like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I'll show you the things which must take place after this. Um, I want to let you guys know that um, Jesus is the door. And the reason why the door is standing, is, is standing open in heaven, I need you to know that that door is not seasonal. It doesn't open and close. It's standing open because the blood of Jesus opened the door and it will never close again. And so when John looks, he saw a door standing open in heaven. I need you to understand if you close your eyes right now and look into heaven, there will not be a closed door. The door will be open. You have access to the realm of God's spirit to know him and to experience him. And he says, I hear a voice saying, come up here and I'll show you what will take place after this. And immediately, I love that, immediately, instantaneously, I was in the spirit. This is what was purchased. John chapter four, Jesus said that you would worship from the spirit. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne, there were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed with white robes. They had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices and seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. And these are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne like uh, and around the throne I, I imagine a sea of glass and there's lightnings and thunders and there is rainbows and there are colors like emeralds going out do you understand what that does on a sea of glass and the reflections and not only that but imagine singing in a room of glass and now the voices are actually reverberating they're not absorbing they're actually reverberating and so one sound of worship doesn't just end with that sound of worship it echoes off of the walls of eternity so if you were to go into heaven you'd be like what is that sound and it's the sound of a thousand generations worshiping him just bouncing off the walls of eternity and all of the glorious splendor of Jesus is like lightnings and the sound of thunders crashing with the sound of voices. That's what he goes. It sounds like the, the, the sound of many waters. That's not water, friends. That's the sound of a thousand generations mingled together with the sound of the thunderings around his throne and all these lights are bouncing off of the glass walls of eternity. Ah, it's good. It's more glorious than your mind can even imagine. And in the midst of the throne, around the throne were four living creatures. This is where it gets weird. <clears throat> and the first living creature was like a lion, and the second like a calf, and the third creature was like a face, like a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, and the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I need you to, do you know why the four living creatures are surrounded or were full of eyes? It's because they were created to look at his glory. They were created to behold the beauty of God. You can't just do it with a couple. You need to be full of them. Full, the full vision of his beauty. The full spectrum of his splendor. They were created to see. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to, is to come. 
And whenever the four living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sat on the throne, for he who lives forever and the 24 elders fall down before him. I, I know it's just this reading and we just kind of read this monitor, but I just want you to imagine the sounds and the thunders and the lightnings and the colors and these creatures that were created to look at the beauty of Jesus on the throne and they're beholding and they go, holy, there's no one like you. Holy, holy, holy. And they're shouting, the whole earth is full of your glory. And when they do that, the four living, the, the 24 elders go, ha, ah, he is holy. And they fall on their face and they cast their crowns. and They go, we are not worthy. And they throw their glory at the glory of Jesus over and over and over again. And, 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 and there, this moment's happening and the, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fall down and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before him saying, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And this whole scene is happening in heaven and John the beloved's witnessing what's happening in heaven. Ah, don't you wish church looked like heaven? Don't you wish that we just would lose our dignity just a little bit more? And it wasn't because, oh, this song's my favorite. I can get down to this song. It's not because of the worship band, like, woo, they're on it today. I can, I can get jiggy with it, you know? Like, I can dance. Feeling Pentecostal today. Wow, the band, my favorite song. What a set list, John. You guys nailed it today. Man, I wish church would stop being like that. And I wish it would be a whole church looks and they see an open door that Jesus purchased to open. And they look and when they look through the door. They enter in the realm of the spirit and they see the beauty of God and they hear a thousand generations singing and they see the four living creatures and they go, you're right. And they would cast down their crowns. You just freak the band out going, I don't know how to lead this. Because the church is not responsive to the sound or the band or the song, but they're actually responsive to the beauty of Jesus. It's captured the church. Worship is a reflective act. And this is what the Holy Spirit has purchased for the church. The Holy Spirit has purchased the ability to see and to know. You no longer worship what you do not know. You now worship in spirit. It's Revelation 4. You're there in the spiritual realm. This is where you are. It says that you are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are in Revelation chapter four. Your spirit needs to catch up. This is where you exist. And if you would only see, worship is a response to what we see and know. Is this making sense? Go meet John chapter 12. <clears throat> John chapter 12. Story you guys know, but I just want to, I want to put it in this context for us. Verse one. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, had been raised from the dead, there they made him a supper and Martha was serving. And Lazarus was one of the guys sitting at the table. Now, I want you to get the scene. 
The last time Jesus uh, was in Bethany, Lazarus was dead and Jesus raised him from the dead. At the crying and the pleading of a family who Jesus loved, he went and raised Lazarus from after being in a tomb for days and everyone knew he was far gone and Jesus raises him from the dead then Jesus leaves Bethany and when he comes back they think we should do a little get together because Lazarus is sitting at the table (laughs) the guy who was in a tomb is sitting at the table And Martha's in the kitchen doing Martha stuff and she's bringing out food and they're celebrating. And you've got, you know, you've got Peter over here like, what did you see while you were dead, Lazarus? And they're having a little conversation. And then you have like, you know, a couple of the other disciples over here just yakking it up and, and, you know, and, and just hanging out and talking. And here's Mary. Mary's not engaged in the conversation. Mary is not just casually making food and chatting it up with the disciples. Mary's sitting there going, he is the son of God. The man that I love, Lazarus, is sitting at the table. Jesus, the son of God, is sitting here. And I want want you to imagine... She's looking at the whole room and people are casual. And Mary's thinking, what's the most expensive thing that I have? What's the most valuable thing that I could give him right now? The son of God is here. When he was born, wise men came and they brought him costly gifts. And she's sitting in the room thinking, and he's here right now, sitting at this table. What can I give him? What's the most valuable thing that I have? And it says that Mary took a pound of costly oil of spikenard and she began to anoint the feet of Jesus and she wipes his feet with her hair. She's thinking her hair is her glory. And, and, and she's, she said, I want to lose all the dignity that I have. And she cuts the room. And she, she, she leads to like, she's sacrificed now her reputation. She has is, she is forfeited her hair and her dignity and she's taken the most costly thing to her name and she's pouring it on the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her tears and with oil, sopping it through her hair. And, and, one, and, and the house all of a sudden began to get filled with the fragrance of the oil and I'm telling you now, it doesn't say it, but I promise you, all of the conversations stop and they watch her. Everyone has been captured by the smell of the oil, this beautiful, fragrant oil. And they're watching her weep and sop the oil with her hair and do it again and wipe and clean his feet and anoint Jesus in this moment. Why? Because Mary knew who was sitting in front of her. And one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, we know about him. Simon's son, who would betray Jesus later on, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had access to the money box. But Jesus said to her, let alone she has kept this day for my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but you do not have me always. And 
in this moment, I, I want to connect this idea of worship and generosity. Because Mary, this is what Mary does, is that the Holy Spirit has made Jesus, the Godhead, visible so that we can know him and draw near to him. The veil's been torn. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you. The door's been opened in heaven. It will never close again. And we have this ability to see. And, and this little window has been opened to Mary. And she now sees Jesus. And she goes, he's the son of God. She's getting it before a lot of other people. I, there are disciples in that group that aren't even totally convinced or sure yet. And she knows the son of God sitting here. And Lazarus raised from the dead. Why are you all talking? We should be anointing his feet with every treasure of our lives. And she pours it all at the feet of Jesus, not because it was required, not because it was needed, not because it was requested, not because it was religiously demanded, but because it was a reaction of her heart to what she knew to be true. It was a reflection. It was worship. And she anointed the feet of Jesus with the most costly thing that she had. When we know the value and the worth of Jesus, there is nothing that we will withhold. And this is why in, in, you know, in, uh, <clears throat> this is why in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. I know we sing that and go, let's take our offerings, you know, and, but I need you to understand that what the verse is saying is, is that there once was a day where your tithe or what you brought to the Lord, or your sacrifice was a religious tradition. It was a day, it was a feast, it was required, it was instituted by a priest, and you obeyed. But he goes, the day of obedience is over, and now I'm letting you know my worth. And this is no longer coming and do what's required of you, but come do what, is, what you have purposed in your heart to do. Do you see me? What am I worth? Let each one give as he purposes in his heart not out of religious unction, not out of religious necessity. This is why like, we go like, yeah, the 10% is great. Do the 10%. I want to know what is like the 100%. Like, what does it mean to give everything? What, what does it mean to give your whole heart, your whole life? Everything that you have is no longer yours, but it's actually his and it's yours to give back to him. And whatever he wants, he can have. And you just pour it at his feet. What are we actually having alabaster jar moments that when we give, not only financially, but when we give in any moment, we're doing it because Jesus is worthy. Because the human flesh and mind is conditioned to give to need. This is why it comes up. Why don't we just give that to the poor? There's a much bigger need than the feet of Jesus. Human, human reasoning says give to the need, but spiritual reasoning says give to his worth. And, and I, know, I know like a lot of church cultures are like, here's the need, here's the need, here's the need, because why? Because it's effective. It motivates people. They want to be a part of fulfilling the need. But I don't want to be motivated by need. I want to be motivated by his worth. I want worship to have a fragrance that stops the whole room. And it captures everyone's attention. Not be, and, 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 and not because, not, I don't want to just give because people have needs in their life, but because Christ in them is so worth sowing into their lives, their salvation, them knowing Jesus, them encountering God. It's, it's worth everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I want to be motivated by his worth, not motivated by the need. It says, you know, let each one give his purposes. That word purpose means that you've reordered the priorities of your life and the highest priority is now him. You know, there's a story in Exodus 36 and 
they're building the temple and, um, and, and they're bringing, and they need gold and they need jewelry and they've got these artists and craftsmen that goes, man, it's going to take, for us to create a place worthy of his glory, it's going to have to be pretty stinking beautiful. And so they, it says, Moses summoned Basilel and Aholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given and was, was willing to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of construction of the sanctuary. And the pe- people continue to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. And so they go, hey, we're gonna build the house for the Lord, but we need riches and we need glory. We don't have it. It's gonna have to come from our homes. It's gonna be a community effort. Let's build the house of the Lord. And so everyone's kind of bringing every morning. They keep bringing and they get to the point where they hit their budget. Budget. This is all we need. Let everybody know. And they go and let everyone know. We hit it, guys. What a team effort. Great job. High fives. The next day they come, there's still a line of people with more to give. And they go, wait a second. And it says that, it, sa- it says that the people, um, um, and, they, and they said to Moses, uh, so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work in the sanctuary left and they, uh, what they were doing. And they said to Moses, the people keep bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses then gave an order and they sent throughout, uh, word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make any else offering to the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they already had more than enough to do all the work. Like this just went to another level. Like they kept showing up. All right, well, tell them we're done, right? And they keep showing up. No, send a command from Moses saying, no more riches for the house of the Lord. And they go and the people keep showing up. Now there are men restraining people from bringing any more gold or silver into the house of the Lord. How many guys know we have far surpassed religious need. There is a people motivated by his worth. There's a whole people going, but he's worth more. He's worth so much more. And there, there's a cry that came from the camp. We, we have gone past need and now there's the people that get it. He, he is worth so much more than this. I, I wanna go uh, one step further as I just land this really quick. It, it's this, it's um, the offering of Mary when she pours out this, this fragrant offering of worship. Um, it fills the whole room. And I want to, I just want to say our worship, not just our words, like our song. We all know that worship is not a song, right? Can I also say it's not everything you do? Hold on a second. It should be, but it's probably not. Okay. Until you do it all as unto the Lord, it's not worship. Sometimes people like I'll give themselves permission to be busy because they're like, it's all worship to the Lord. No, it's not until it becomes an offering to the Lord. Is that okay? Okay. Somebody like, well, I'm just so busy with work. I'm just so busy with all these things. At least it's all worship. No. It's not all worship unless it's all on the altar as an offering to the Lord. That's when it becomes worship. <clears throat> I, our worship changes atmospheres. Our sacrificial outpouring of our lives changes atmospheres. The offering of, of Mary didn't intend to, 
but it filled the room with a fragrance that captured everyone's attention. It stopped the conversation and it put all eyes on Jesus. And it declared his worth. In 2 Chronicles 5.14, it says in the dedication of the temple, it says that, um, it says that, uh, in 2 Chronicles 5.14, it says that they came to dedicate and the priests began to sing. And they sang, you are good and your love endures forever. And as the priests began to sing, then a smoke filled the room. Or in Acts 4.31, it says the believers began to worship and then the house was shaken. When, when we actually give an offering, there is, our, worship is a reflection of what we see, but there's also a response of God manifests his glory in the atmosphere of worship. And, and this is why sometimes we'll hit places, it happens every single time. Remember I talked about worship is doing this? And then all of a sudden I go, let's just go higher. And we help coach the room into a spiritual engagement to who Jesus is. The whole room goes, and then all of a sudden, there's even people in the room go, not even engaged. It goes, I feel something different right now. Why? Because um, the manifest presence of God begins to show up. A fragrance is released in the atmosphere of worship. Um, our worship changes the atmosphere. It fills the room with fragrance. Um, in Malachi 1.11, it says, In every place where incense is offered, my name will be made great in the city. We, we had this... Um, we had this, uh, this situation back in 2020. I'll end here. Um, back in, in 2020, uh, there was this thing going around called uh, a pandemic and, and um, things were shut down and, and, um, and we, we personally got into some, some, some trouble. When I say trouble, um, we, we've got, we got picked on. Um, we had a couple worship meetings that were far bigger than the suggested amount. And we didn't know, that, I don't think the government knew what they had the legal right to do about us. And we didn't know what our legal right was to worship. And we weren't necessarily holding signs and protesting or making a scene. We just loved Jesus and we would never reject anybody. Find me a thousand times over. I would never reject a soul ever coming to the house of the Lord to encounter God, especially in a time of such trial and tribulation. And so we said, let's do our best and we're trying to do all the things but there were moments that things went over especially in this one night and um and we had these crazy two nights of worship and people actually drove from all over new england for it and it created a stir and because of that i was in the news cycle for like six straight weeks um and here's the great news not a single person contracted covid at those meetings and um and so six weeks of news cycles and they finally had to come out saying the cc that says kingdom life church not responsible for any transmission of covid which was the grace of god and um and so all that goes on and, but then there's like articles being written and then we're being watched by the police department and the town, the, the state of Maine was watching us and we were regularly being contacted by the CDC and we had people that were spies and there's death threats against my family. It was a, it was a crazy season. And um, <clears throat> I remember that um, every single day during that, um, every single day during that, that period of time, a police cruiser would come and sit in our parking lot. And, uh, and so every day we, I would walk over from my house to work and I would walk past the cruiser and do this and head into the building. And of course, everybody was walking into the church on COVID Sundays and everything. And they're making sure they're masked up because there's this cop car that sat there every single Sunday. And we were convinced he was, he was watching every move we made, like his assignment is to watch us. <clears throat> so one day my, my friend Christian goes, you know what? I know we're just like, terrified of this guy sitting in our parking lot, but 
I'm going to go say hi and see if he wants coffee. And I said, you do that, man. Tell me how it goes, you know. And so he goes and he knocks on the window. And, uh, and Christian, the guy rolls out his window and Christian goes, hey, man, just want to say we're so glad that you're here. And uh, we love you. Would you like some coffee? We have some coffee. And the guy goes, no, no, no. Do I make you guys nervous? And Christian goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, a little bit. And, uh, and he goes, I am so sorry. You know, uh, he said, um, last Thanksgiving, somebody from this church uh, just felt led by God to, I, I was down to my final dollars to my name. I, I didn't have any money. And I was in, in line and I, had, I was buying groceries not knowing if my card would get rejected. And uh, some guy in this church came up behind me just felt led by God, said, I love you. Let me pay for all your groceries. Had no idea of the need. He goes, in that moment, I knew that God loved me. And he was watching over me. And he said, it's one of the moments, one of the, one of the two moments I felt closest to God. And he goes, and then recently I was going about my days and I'm in a really hard place again financially. And I just volunteered in the police department to do this. And, and, uh, and he goes, and then a little while ago, I, he said, I, I was down to my final dollars and somebody from this church walked up and handed me a hundred dollar bill. I had no idea of my need in my life. And he goes, those are the two pl- times I've ever felt close to God. And I'm just in it so bad. I just sit here to feel close to God because this church makes me feel like I'm close to God. Isn't that crazy? Do you understand that generosity is an act of worship? An act of worship changes environments. It actually becomes a fragrance that captures attention to the Lord. He wasn't watching us. He just wanted to be close to God. What, what, a, what a twist of the narrative. You know, and, and, and I just want to, I want to encourage us this morning is, is this, is that <clears throat> I really believe in, in radical generosity. I believe in a supernatural provision for your life. I, I believe it changes atmospheres in our city. I, I believe that it, it is the foundation of the house of revival. But more than anything is I want to fill a city with the fragrance of worship. I want to fill my home with the fragrance of worship. I want, I want to fill my workplace with the fragrance of worship. I want to fill places that are dirty and broken and struggling and imprisoned. And I want to, I want to fill it with the fragrance of worship. Break my alabaster jar at the feet of Jesus. He's so worthy right now. And let this fragrance fill the room. I don't want to just be generous with my money. I want to be generous with my life. When I come in this room and I'm next to you, I don't want to, you know, withhold anything. You know, I, I, someone said this morning, because I, I, I woke up every hour last night because of my children. My children had me up every hour last night. And so someone said last night, man, there's a lot of people tired today. And I go, don't, I will, I'm not tired. I will challenge everybody in this room with my zeal for the presence of the Lord. I'm, don't, don't count me, don't count me out right now. Yeah, I woke up every hour, but I'm going to go harder than all of you. Why? because I want to be radically generous with my life at the feet of Jesus. Is that all right? I, I'm not withholding anything from him. And when it costs the most, I want to give him the most. Is that all right? Why don't you guys stand with me?